Welcome to Michael Stone's podcast, Awaken the World. This podcast is part of an online community library we're developing, one that contains podcasts, videos, transcripts and booklets based on Michael's talks. The goal of this library and this podcast is to bring mindfulness and mental health into the spotlight. Through this work, we're creating new ways to wake up through socially engaged, conscious, spiritual practice. We're creating a culture of compassion and collaboration. We've left our physical monasteries and we're bringing them online. Before we get to today's podcast, I want to take a moment to ask you to consider becoming a patron of this podcast through Patreon. Pledging is easy and can be as little as $1 per month. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Michaelstone and click on the big orange button on the top right of the page. Thank you for listening. Good late afternoon. A lot of people um, read books about practice, and in all the books it says that the purpose of practice is to bring an end to dukkha, to bring an end to suffering. And um, I always find this is such a negative definition of practice. And I really like to think of this practice as um, bringing us to the ground of love, of creativity, of spontaneity, and eccentricity. To be just as you are, and to recognize that just as you are, you're complete. A monk once asked Basho while he was on his pilgrimage in his 40s, what is the essence of your practice? What is the essence of your practice? And Basho responds, whatever's needed. be just as he is in any moment. Just as the snow is, the birds, the few of them that are left. And your eccentricity and your creativity and your humanity is the passport to intimacy 
the passport to freedom. Your humanity, not your definition of humanity, but what you arrive at when you take a break from doing. And the humanity that's there with you all the time that sometimes you just forget. The idiosyncrasy that you are, that you sometimes forget. Just being yourself. What a relief that you don't have to get anywhere. I was feeling down a month ago and my friend called and said, oh, you seem down, why don't you come over for dinner? So I got to her house for dinner and I was with my son and I get there and her kids are out on the street selling hot chocolate, freezing cold day. And um, people are driving by in their car once in a while buying hot chocolate. And I go in the house and she has an amazing dinner on the stove. And uh, to sell hot chocolate in the winter means the kids have to come in every five minutes and get it warmed up. Otherwise, they're just selling chocolate milk. <laughs> so she's making dinner and she's warming up the hot chocolate and they're running back and forth selling it. And, um, and I walk in and she says, I, I'm going to go have a cigarette. Come have a cigarette. Okay. So we went and had a cigarette. And... Just in that moment, I wanted to press pause. And she's not complaining that her kids need hot chocolate or that the public needs hot chocolate. She's not complaining about how many things are going on at once. She's there, not even seeing how perfect each moment is. And I wanted to pause and say, this is enlightenment. But of course, those are not the images of enlightenment we get. Because it's a woman, she has children, she's a householder, she's smoking. <laughs> when you're fully in your life, you can't see it because you're not standing outside, separating it off. And in that moment, with the kids selling hot chocolate and the stove with seven things on it, having a cigarette, that's enlightenment. But it doesn't say that in any Sanskrit text. And our realization occurs in this very subtle interplay between our individuality <coughs> and feeling connected to this mysterious life that we find ourselves in. And if you don't let this practice become mechanical, then you can realize 
who you are through these really simple practices. Each and every moment. Charles Bukowski wrote a great poem about this called The Laughing Heart, written during his very brief interest in Buddhism. Your life is your life. Don't let it be clubbed into dank submission. Be on the watch. There are ways out. There is a light somewhere. It may not be much light, but it beats the darkness. Be on the watch. The gods will offer you chances. Know them. Take them. You can't beat death, but you can beat death in life. Sometimes. And the more often you learn to do it, the more light there will be. Your life is your life. Know it while you have it. You are marvelous. The gods wait to delight in you. Making real our life just as it is. I remember one time going to see a a mentor of mine who is also a priest, and um, having a really frustrating time over the holidays deciding which part of my family I should spend time with because the way my schedule was, it was one or the other. And I I was really worked up, feeling very guilty. Um, And he just looked up after listening to me for about 40 minutes. I, I don't think I even said hi or looked at him. And he just looked at him up at me and said, you're free. And then he just started laughing for about 10 minutes. And uh, it took me 10 minutes to understand what he was saying. We forget sometimes that we're free. The superego just tortures us. And if you have a spiritual practice, you have a spiritual superego that tortures you. If you don't do your practice today, it's like torture. What's your practice? Here's what Dogen says. Listen carefully. I might read this six or seven times. If you get this, you get the whole practice. You can go home. A fish swims in the ocean, and no matter how far it swims, there's no end to the water. A bird flies in the sky, and no matter how far it flies, there's no end to the air. However, the fish and the bird have never left their elements. When their activity is large, their field is large. When their need is small, their field is small. 
Thus, each of them totally covers their full range. And each of them totally experiences its reality. If the bird leaves the air, it will die at once. If the fish leaves the water, it will die at once. Poetic, but maybe obscure. A fish swims in the ocean, and no matter how far it swims, there's no end to the water. A bird flies in the sky, and no matter how far it flies, there's no end to the air. However, the fish and the bird have never left their elements. What nurtures you the way a fish is nurtured by water? the way a bird is nurtured by air. Have you lost touch with what nurtures you? Consider also the natural and unconstrained movement of a bird and of a fish. I spent a month last year in Mexico living right on the ocean, and every morning the whales would swim right up to the cabin that I was staying in. And to watch a whale slap its tail on the surface of the ocean is mind-stopping. And it's totally unconstrained. I mean, the whale flaps its tail in a different way than the dolphin does, in a different way than uh, the manta does. Just like a fish can't be a bird. You can't be other than you are. Maybe when we practice the yoga postures in here, you're comparing yourself to somebody else, not in your experience. Maybe when we do walking meditation, you're comparing yourself to another person. Wondering, how, how's my sitting? Oh, his sitting is so still. My, I'm, I mean, me. My sitting, you know, will never be like that. Maybe one day I can sit more like her. Do you think that birds ever want to be fish? (laughs) In the koan tradition, there's a, a capping verse, a Chinese capping verse that goes, Duck's legs are long, crane's legs are short. Imagine a duck with crane's legs.
So the fish swims in the ocean, and no matter how far it swims, there's no end to the water. So a fish is naturally in its element. An air is naturally in its element. The fish and the bird never leave their elements. Fish and birds, like you, ride on currents. The fish in its currents, it knows all the currents and subcurrents when it's in the water. And likewise, when the bird is in the air, it knows about currents. And you ride on current of breathing and creativity. And when you're out of touch with either of those, then there is dukkha, restlessness and discontent. We're human beings. We need to be quiet, and we also need to express ourselves. And if there's blockage in the input, then there can be no output. And if there's blockage in the output, then we can't receive either because it's circular. If the bird leaves the air, it will die. If you try and live someone else's life, you'll also suffocate. In the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna tells Arjuna, do your dharma, but don't do somebody else's dharma. Do your work, but don't do someone else's work. And as psychotherapists, we say this to our clients all the time. Don't live your parents' unlived life. People are so intertwined that sometimes it takes several decades to realize that you're doing the work your parents wanted to do or that your parents needed you to do unconsciously. Even children sometimes have dreams. People who work with kids and their parents often talk about how kids sometimes have dreams that are their parents' dreams. That's how close we're connected. So what's a fish? Swimming. What's a bird? Flying. There's no such thing as a walker, Nagarjuna says, until you're walking. When you're sitting, you're not a walker. Walking happens when you're walking. Then you're a walker. So then what's a human? What's a sentient being? Part of being a human is knowing your realm, knowing what nourishes you. Being in your life means being in your field, not somebody else's field. Or as Bukowski says, your life is your life. 
being in your field like a fish is in water. And when a fish is in water, it doesn't know it's in water. When a fish discovers water, it's in trouble. It's the thing about a, being on a spiritual path, is that you can't really say what it is, but you know when you're off of it. And when you're fully in your life, you don't know because you're just in it. When I'm fully on this cushion, I can't see the cushion. I forget about it. When you're fully walking, you forget about yourself and there's just walking. When you're fully breathing, there's just breathing happening. There's nobody breathing. There's just breathing. You're not breathing, just breathing. And can you take that a little further than just yourself and even contemplate that in this moment, you're inhaling with every other being that's inhaling? Or if that's too much, just take this piece of land and in this one moment, you're breathing with every other creature on this piece of land that's breathing. In this moment, you're inhaling. Your nostrils are so much bigger than a bird. But you're inhaling now and so is a bird. And those dogs that were doing walking meditation with us this <laughs> afternoon. Last night when I was going through the applications for this retreat to sort of bring to memory everybody who's on retreat and some of the background information of people I don't know as well, I came across one of the applications and um, somebody wrote that their intention for practice is sharing yoga through my yoga practice. And also that was their definition of their occupation. Sharing yoga through yoga practice, through their practice. And immediately I thought about how as yoga becomes popular, people feel that in order to share what they get from their practice, they have to become yoga teachers. Sometimes I joke to myself that there are more yoga teachers than students. <laughs> and actually, um, there is something about that that's a wonderful um, aspiration. And yet, there's something about that that also confuses the form of the practice with what's really communicated or shared. Because if you want to really share your practice, you share your practice through who you are, in body, speech, or mind. It doesn't necessarily mean teaching someone how to sit on a cushion or how to stand on their head. Through what you learn in your practice, you come home with something really real to give. 
but it doesn't necessarily have to be this form. <coughs> so when you come home, you'll be unknowingly sharing this retreat with others. And then some part of us is like, how can I make money at this? <laughs> So everything that I come in contact with is my life. Every creature, every grain of rice, every retreat, every moment on retreat, when their need is small, their field is small. Thus, each of them totally covers their full range, and each of them totally experiences its realm. Everything that you come in contact with in your realm is your life, is your practice. Suzuki Roshi had this joke where he used to say, if you told people that they only had to practice for two years and then they would be fully enlightened. Everyone would practice. But if you tell people that your whole life is practice, not that many people are interested. (laughs) Everything you come in contact with is your life. Everything I come in contact with is my life. Cancer is not my life. Anger can't be my life. Jealousy isn't my life. So there are some things we we want to be our lives, and then other things we partition off. Suzuki Roshi had this practice he used to do, which I've always loved, this story, where um, he, he would wake up in the morning, and when the gong woke him up, he would open his eyes and say, yes. And then he would get up and wash his face, and his first practice in the day was calligraphy. And so he would practice his calligraphy, and then his wife would ring a bell for him to come for breakfast. And as soon as he heard the bell, he'd say, yes. And then he would go and eat his breakfast. And then it was time to go to the monastery. He would say, yes. And he would go to... (laughs) There are so many best-selling books that have titles like Saying Yes to Life. (laughs) You buy in the darkest day of December, like around solstice sometime. (laughs) But could you imagine this? The alarm clock goes off and you hit the snooze button and you throw it against the wall. (laughs) You say, yes. A friend wants to tell you something that you don't want to hear and you say, yes. You sit on the cushion 
and discomfort is arising, and you say yes. We're immersed in this life, in the ocean of this life, from birth to death. You have no choice, really. You can try and escape from your life. Have you ever tried this? I have put so much energy into trying to escape from my life. In fact, my whole motivation to start spiritual practice was to escape. And for the first couple of years of meditation, I just meditated in the stiffest way. So I would just sit totally stiff, and I could get into this place where nothing could touch me. And so I could be on a retreat like this, and when everyone did their walking meditation, I just kept sitting and sit all day, all night. And I, I could get into these zones where I was totally unaffected. So it's possible, but it only lasts for about two years. And then you actually have to get off the cushion eventually and uh, deal with humans. <laughs> and so if the practice is about waking up, then certainly being defended can't work. And that's why I said to you earlier today that this is a soft path. So if there's no end to life while you're in it, then there's no end to practice. And if you wonder what your spiritual path is, just look in front of you. You, you make the path by walking. And you don't know what you're going to find. And really, there are no maps that are perfect. There is no community that is perfect. I have a friend who said to me after moving to a monastery that I've never been angry until I moved to a monastery. (laughs) This is your community today. And on Friday, we'll separate. And there will be ways that you will try and hold on to this experience. But it also comes to an end. So your community is where you're at in every moment. Sometimes people create these intentional spiritual communities. And I've tried to join some. But community is surprising. 
You never know who you're going to sit beside on an airplane, who you're going to bump up against in the forest. One of the scariest moments of my life was teaching a retreat in Sweden three years ago. And I was going for a walk in the woods at night, and the forest went right up to the ocean. So there was forest, a small beach, and then ocean, and, uh, or sea, rather. And um, they have these amazing uh, steps. In Sweden, they, in this area of Sweden anyways, I don't know if this is true for the whole country, but you're allowed to walk on anyone's property. So even though it's called private property, there's kind of a, a, a given that anybody can walk across someone else's property. So people actually build these really nice steps that go up and down the fence line. So you'll come to a fence, and if you look down the fence line, you'll see there are some steps that go up and over. And so I was traveling across people's fields and then down into this forest. And I'm walking along, and it's getting quite dark, and I can't really see the path. And then suddenly, there's these two eyes staring at me. And I jumped. like a, I've never jumped before. And I, I couldn't say anything because I had no breath. And I remember being just so frightened. And then when I landed, I realized it was a cow. <laughs> and, you know, like India, people just let their cows be free. We could learn something from that country. And um, they leave their cows alone. And um, I was so... St- I mean... In Ontario, you would never bump into a cow (laughs) walking on a trail in the forest. And then I started laughing so hard, I was just crying, and I I couldn't even stand up. And and then so I tried walking with the cow and telling the cow what had happened, and sorry (laughs) if I scared the cow. And if you ever try talking to a cow or even looking at a cow, they don't really care. And this is Sangha. This is community. All those creatures breathing with you right now. You know, not so far from here, some of you have probably seen it if you've walked the ridge, is the Y Marsh and Georgian Bay. It's totally frozen when you look out. And um, all that life in the water there We're up here and we're lighting candles and looking at the snow and just not far from here is all this underwater life. Isn't it good to know? Isn't it good to know that when you go back to the city, most of you, that these trees are still here in this stillness? Simultaneously. So that's Sangha, community. A fish swims in the ocean, and no matter how far it swims, there's no end to the water. Even though you may fail to recognize it over and over and over again, you're complete and you're perfect, just the way you are.
Trungpa Rinpoche once said, you're complete and you're perfect just the way you are. But there's room for a little improvement. (laughs) Duck's legs are short. Crane's legs are long. Not trying to be different than you are. We can really see that in the meditation practice where when difficulty arises, we just want it to be slightly different than it is. What is this wanting to be different? You think the floor wishes it was a ceiling? You think the floor wonders if it's doing a good job for you? I hope they like me as much as the bathroom floor. Why why was I born a temple floor? So don't leave who you are. Don't leave who you are. You think you're not complete, and then just be quiet. And look closely. You think you can't sit. You, you're the person who thought you couldn't sit. And here you are, sitting. Maybe some of you couldn't follow your breath more than one or two breaths last week. And here you are, doing it. You, the person who thinks you can't go on retreat. Now you're in your field. A man who lives upstairs from the roti shop in Parkdale who collects breadcrumbs every day and then the next morning feeds all the pigeons. He's totally in his field and he drives all the storekeepers nuts. (laughs) But they leave him alone because when you watch how he feeds the pigeons, he's totally in his field and he's a Buddha for all those pigeons. And he's a teacher for all those storekeepers. The person who grew all those vegetables for our meal today. The tree that created enough bark for this floor. each thing in its field.
Birds fly, fish swim. What's your realm? What really nourishes you? So as we head towards tomorrow, which is, in some respects, the last day of the year, and in other respects, that actually seems ridiculous. (laughs) I mean, here we are on retreat, and I don't know if you've had the thought, why are we changing the schedule tomorrow? I mean, it's just another day. Lori's not going to be any older next week, really, than she is in this second and this second. You you don't die, really. I mean, you don't die. You die if you're here thinking you're going to die. But in the moments leading up to your death, those are just moments. If you don't superimpose anything on them, because you can't know at what moment you'll die. They're just moments. If you spend time with people who are dying, it's often like this. I've been with a few people who've died, and the first person who I spent a lot of time with as he was dying was my uncle. And we were together every day, and I had this intention of spending all the hours I could in the hospital that week, sleeping there, living with him, uh, to be there when he died. And of course he died right when he sent me to get a coffee. (laughs) I haven't had a coffee in a few days, he said. Is there still a Tim Hortons on the corner? So I went and I got him a coffee, and I went fast. And if you've spent time with people who are dying, you know this, right? They they usually wait until they're alone. They don't need you to, to keep them around. Your presence there sometimes keeps them around. And they're just trying to be good to you and hang out. But when they're in the experience, they just want a coffee. And if we superimpose, oh, but it's supposed to be more. Someone told me a story recently of a friend in Halifax uh, who's dying. And um, left a, an answering machine, left a message on her answering machine that, that said, um, I'm dying, everything's fine. Leave me alone. Good luck. <laughs> and then people close to us also pass away. And we're filled with grief and loss. And that's also our practice. Meditation is not going to help you avoid that.
There's a joke about a elderly Jewish couple and the husband dies. And his wife, Sarah, goes to the newspaper to put an ad in the obituary section saying that her husband, Shlomo, has died. So she calls and says, my husband has died and I'd like to take out an ad in the obituary section. And they say, okay, what would you like the ad to say? She said, Shlomo died. And the man on the other end said, well, Shlomo was a very important person in the community. He had grandchildren and children and a lot of cousins. Don't you think you could say something a little more than Shlomo died? She said, um, Shlomo's dead. <laughs> and he said, well, I think I like Shlomo died better. But if it's, a, if it's about money, then the first five words are free. So she rewrote the ad and it said, Shlomo died, boat for sale. <laughs> Maybe she'd been preparing for his death for a long time. Birds fly, fish swim. Your life is your life. Don't squander it by drifting and living a kind of virtual reality in the mental sphere where you don't really have to make contact with what's happening on the path that is set just by you living. Thus, each of them totally covers their full range. And each of them totally experiences its realm. If the bird leaves the air, it will die at once. If the fish leaves the water, it will die at once. If you're not in touch with who and what you are, you're dead. Bukowski says in his poem, you can't escape death, but you can escape death in life. Your life is your life. <coughs> <coughs>